Welcome to the For Real For Real podcast, where we share our reality and perspectives on what's going on in the world of pop culture, sports, relationships, society, and much, much more. All while keeping it real and getting into the shits, as we like to say. I'm Jeff Brooks, the Renaissance Man. This your boy, Big Easy. Para mi mujer hispana, me llamo Samuel. And they call me T-Mac, but my mom calls me Trevor. Let's get into it. My good brothers, it's been a while. I missed you guys, man. It's been a lot going on. So uh, talk to me, guys. What's going on? What's been up the last couple weeks? We've been on hiatus from this podcast. And we took a couple weeks off, man, and got another potential black candidate headed to the White House. NBA bubble is on and popping, man. The world's going crazy. But, you know, we took time off with good reason, man. We had to deal with some things, and sometimes life happens. For sure. Yeah. I guess to bring some light to you guys, you know, it wasn't a planned hiatus. It was uh, a bit unexpected. But um, as T-Mac did say, life does happen. That's real. And we try to be as real as possible. So the only person left to talk right now is our boy, Big Easy. So uh, Big Easy, let us know what's going on, my man. What have you been up to the last few weeks? Figuratively and literally just trying to live. Just like anybody who's gone through 2020, 2020 has once again humbled me just like it's humbled the rest of the world. I apologize to our audience, of course. You know, I was in the hospital for a little bit. Something that I think that what we all need to do and learn to do and continue to do is just like listen to our bodies. Although I've always been like a good advocate of doing that and especially for other people so that people are just always taking care of themselves, you know, as well as others. I just wasn't doing the same. Fortunately, I was sick. I was in the hospital for maybe about a week, but you know, I'm I'm kind of back up and running to some extent, getting myself together, right? But yeah, like that's kind of what happens. Yeah, I remember when you hit us, man, and you brought up the fact that you weren't feeling well and you were going to get get some things checked out. A natural reaction, and I think, not to get too much on, off on a tangent, but they say that there's this expectation that Black people are, are stronger, right? And that they're more resilient to things. So, like, even when you mentioned that you were going to get something checked out, like, I was like, no big deal, man. He'll, he'll be all right. Nothing, nothing too crazy to worry about. And then I think it was Jeff that told me, Maybe it was like three, four days later. He's like, yo, Sam's still in the hospital. And that's when I knew it was like something a little deeper. And I think we were all genuinely concerned. So I can't imagine what it must have been like for you to be dealing with these complications in a time where, you know, hospitals are, I don't know if they're still overrun, but they're still dealing with the effects of COVID. And you have all these other things kind of going on in the world. Were you scared? Were you worried? Like, what was your feeling as you're kind of dealing with what's going on in your body? So in terms of like COVID or anything like that, like that part, no, that wasn't a fear or worry of mine. I guess what I was just experiencing was more so, you know, my father passed away in the beginning of the year. That was like the humbling experience part, right? Because it's like, these are some of the same feelings that he probably had that now I was experiencing. So for me, it was kind of just like reconciling the two, right? Because I'm someone, you know, up until... Recently, like I've been in pretty good health. Like, there's no lie. Like, I've always been a big dude, but for myself, I've always tried to eat right. I've always been pretty active. I've always been someone who who does their best to take care of themselves. But then, you know, the pandemic happens, right? And then we're all sitting at home for months, not doing anything. 
and really it was about where where did any of that energy go so you know i went from someone who's walking a few miles a day just walking to my train station and walking back on top of the fact that you know i, I work in manhattan so you're walking all the time in manhattan so now you're just sitting and doing nothing and gyms are closed right so a lot of those things eventually caught up and although i won't say it's all entirely my fault because yes there were different things at play it was just really about you know trying to like reconcile all those things right because even prior to covid it was there were still things that i was just like dealing with because of like just grief so those were the feelings i had it really you know in, in terms of my health completely treatable completely about like the work i'm willing to put into like you know make sure that that i'm okay and that's fine i mean you know honestly that stuff doesn't scare me but that was the really humbling experience around all that well i can say you look yourself right now man so i mean the talking to you you definitely didn't sound like yourself and i mean even trying to reach out to you when i knew you were in the hospital like i was very timid on how often i would reach out to you or when i should call Wondering, though, if you wanted to be left alone or if you were tired of being left alone. I know some people who have literally died alone because of this pandemic, Mm -hmm. right? So that's one thing I guess I'm just curious about as far as, like, how was it, you know, being alone in your thoughts? You know, how often were you getting visitors? What goes through your mind when you're laying on your back and you have nothing to, to watch and you just have your cell phone to your nightstand? What's going through your head when you are probably bored shitless? just by yourself and not able to uh, do some of the things that you would normally do in that condition. Here's what I'd say is I was exhausted. So ultimately I had a ton of visitors to answer one of your questions. So definitely I have four siblings, right? All four of them came to see me. My mom was certainly there. There was certainly a good amount of attention that I got. My significant other came through as well, her mom. I got a, a lot of love in that way. I appreciated when you would call me, Jeff, or message me and all that. Like, you know, we're brothers. Uh, you know, I, I got a lot of love for you. So that stuff didn't bother me. In terms of laying there and, and being stuck, I, you know, for, for me, it was, it was more so around, like, I came in there in such, like, bad shape that I kind of needed the rest, right? Like, I just needed to be able to chill and lay out and when I was watching anything, maybe I'd be watching some basketball, but you know what? I'd fall asleep during it, right? So I needed that time to recuperate because, you know, like I wasn't listening to my body and these are some of the things that happen. And honestly, like what, what happened to me is easily something that can happen to a lot of people, especially, like I said, in this pandemic world where people have been sitting in their homes for three, four, five months, not doing much. That's going to be probably like the new thing that it's going to scare people a lot, right? I don't think my story is going to be that unique in that way. So it's really about, you know, everyone, we, we all have to like make sure and take stock and like, you know, and me thinking back, being alone in my thoughts, like me thinking back to a week or two before I got there where I'm like, oh, I think this is my body telling me this, right? Like maybe this is what was happening then, right? So could there have been a, a point where I could have caught myself a little earlier? I don't know. And I, and I guess like I will never know the answer to that. But I do know that there are signals that we all need to like follow and listen to and say to ourselves like, oh, you need to slow down because something is happening here. Yeah, man, it's definitely 
eye-opening to me as well because as you guys know being Jeff Brooks the Renaissance man that means that I do a lot of shit and I took this week to uh, have a vacation you know from my nine to five and I didn't really pull the trigger until I kind of found out what was going on with you because I'm constantly being told you know Jeff you need to slow down Jeff your blood pressure is too high Jeff you need to just sit down and rest for a second and if you take a look around I would say most people have probably gained about 10 to 15 pounds, or if not more, during this pandemic. And there's some people who, like my wife, have gotten in better shape, but I mean, she's just superwoman. But everybody else, for us regular folks, not having the gym and having this uh, more sedentary lifestyle, it's definitely having an effect. And I'm just curious to see how this goes into just the overall national lifespan average. You know, I think that this pandemic will certainly play a huge role in a negative outlook on on this time. I mean, it's really crazy when you look back at it, man. The thing is, if you don't sleep, if you don't sit down, God, the universe, or the body, whatever you want to say, will force you to do so. So, I mean, obviously, I, I don't wish this situation on anybody, but I am happy that it happened to you now versus maybe a time where the things that you're going through right now may have not been reversible. Your body definitely did give you that signal, man, and I know what you're going to do, what you got to do in order to get yourself in the best shape possible, for sure. Yeah. And Sam, you brought up how you felt like there was signals kind of maybe a week or two before. And I think to Jeff's point, through the pandemic and through the, all that's been going on in the world, like I think everyone's kind of gotten either heightened anxiety or their muscles aren't feeling the same, their body isn't feeling the same because they're not moving like they might have done before. So there's that that question of like, oh, well, maybe it's just this, right? And maybe it's not as serious as you might think. So what I'm curious to know from you is like, how did you know when it was time to kind of go and get things properly checked out versus like the lead up you had when you were kind of putting it off because you might have chalked it up as, you know, just an everyday thing? <laughs> so like many of us, you know, I've been working from home, right? I couldn't work. Like I could not think, you know, like that's kind of where I was at, where it was like, it took a lot of effort for me to kind of like think and answer things and write an email and all that. Right. Like, so first you'll take a Monday off and you'll be like, all right, maybe I just need a day. Then you're at Tuesday and then you're like, Hey, maybe I should set up an appointment and get myself checked out. Right. So like, that's kind of where I was at. And at that point, like, you know, I was pretty deep in, it's crazy that I was still like out here driving to doctor's appointments because I probably shouldn't have been, you know, like that's how kind of like in bad a shape I was because it really was a task for me to, you know, at one point I just didn't have the capacity to almost like think I didn't have the capacity or the energy to like, you know, get up out of bed to do anything other than, you know, like basic things, right? Like maybe eat a little something, right? And then just want to like lay back down. So I think once I was there, because like, again, like I've been, I'm 36 years old. I've, I've never really been sick. Like, and even in general, if I get a cold, like I might get it on a Monday and by Wednesday I'm good, right? Like I've, I'm just not someone who spends a lot of time like ill or anything like that. I got to jump in real quick too. So I've known Sam for almost 20 years. And the running joke that we had amongst the brotherhood was that this guy didn't own a jacket. It would be 20 degrees outside. We got on these North Face snorkels. And this guy would go on maybe with a hoodie. Maybe you know, a hoodie. 
Maybe a hoodie. And, and I'm saying, bro, I said, bro, bro, you're going to get sick. Like, I'll bet you any money that you're going to get sick. And if I bet him any money, I would have lost because this fool would not get sick. So he's not capping. He's not misleading us. This guy definitely was not getting sick back in those days. I also remember how surprised I was when I did finally see you with the jacket, Sam. I was like, oh, man, he's going to turn a new leaf. We must have been at least like 25 pushing 30 by the time the first time I seen you out in the winter with a jacket on. But yeah, sorry to get off on that tangent. But yeah, Jeff brought up a good point about you kind of being Iron Man through the storm, which unintentionally represents something in that like Iron Man has this like very hard exterior, but he's also like his heart isn't right. And that's not to say that's the case with you. But like on the inside, there are still things going on despite his seemingly impermeable exterior. Yeah, I mean, you probably articulated it the best way, Trevor. But yeah, I mean, it really took a lot for me for me to be sick and, you know, be in bed or anything like that. Like, there's been a handful of times maybe I got, like, the flu maybe once, and that would be it. But for me, like, yes, I wasn't the person who rocked more faces. Nah, I might rock a hoodie, right? And if I did have a jacket or a coat, maybe it was just to be more stylish than, you know, anything else. It wasn't because I needed it for warmth. I'm generally someone who runs hot anyway. But but yeah, like, so I think for me, once once I was at that point, I knew that I needed I needed to like go seek some medical care. Let me ask you guys a question. And, and this goes out to both of you. So, you know, it's no secret to all three black men. Trevor, you alluded to it earlier that I guess the rumor or, you know, old wives tell the stereotype is that black people have a higher pain tolerance. And also within that, there's just certain diseases and issues that we have been prone to. And as we get older, we just kind of like come to accept the fact that, oh yeah, you know, my mother had high blood pressure. My grandmother had high blood pressure. So therefore I'm going to have high blood pressure. So my question to you, Trevor, and to Sam, I guess during this, like, is it possible to defeat what we believe is actually inevitable because of what our parents are going through? Like, is this a genetic thing? Or can we actually reverse some of these uh, predisposed issues that we're supposed to get being Black people? Man, you opened up a can of worms there, but I'm glad you went there. Personally, man, I had to be like 20, 22, something like that, early 20s. And I remember I had very sharp, it almost felt like somebody was like stepping down with both feet on my chest, type of chest pains. And at the time... You know, I'm like 6'1", so I'm like 6'1". I might have been buck 60. I was like super skinny, not out of shape in the least. I wasn't eating the best, but at least physically, I was probably closest to the most fit I had been in my life. And finally, I went to go and get checked out for those chest pains. And doctor said, oh, you have high cholesterol. And I was like, how? You know, I'm like, that doesn't seem right. I, you know, I don't eat crazy. I don't. At the time, I was, you know, I think I was eating meat, but just like chicken and fish, a little bit of fish. I was like, that, that doesn't seem right. And for probably close to at least more, maybe a dozen years after that, I would continue to go to doctors. I would continue to try to get diagnosed. They would just be like, hey, eat oatmeal or work out some more. It's probably just hereditary. And that would just be the, they would just give me that shrug, despite the fact that no one in my family history that I could at least trace back to had this issue. So it kind of brings me to the point of like, to answer your question, I think we can overcome them. I think the better question is, it goes back to the thing of like the, this impression that, that black people are just a little bit more resilient or that they're just prone to things, right? 
the fault has to be on the doctors to kind of do better, to dig deeper, to kind of like work, to kind of uncover things, to not just chalk things up as like, oh, you got this because you're black and you guys are more susceptible to sickle cell and to asthma and to high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Like that may be true. There may be some fact-based research that leads to that, but that doesn't mean that you can't overcome it. And to that point, I think it was like a year or two ago, went to the doctor and they said I was good. So the cholesterol went down. So say that to prove the point that we can't overcome these things. It's just a matter of kind of putting your mind to it and doing what you can to to put yourself in a healthier position. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. So I will never want to land on anything that just says, oh, well, it's hereditary. Like it's just going to happen, right? I think that we all have control over a lot of things that can happen in our bodies. But I do also think, and and I, you know, to kind of piggyback even something you said as well, Trevor, is that we do have to push our doctors. I think you have to walk into places and ask a lot of questions and get firm answers, right? So certainly what, you know, I've been doing follow-up appointments and all that is being prepared, having numbers in front of me saying like, what's the expectation over here, right? Because I think what, what happens is, yes, they view us as people of color, They'll say, all right, well, this is what you have now. And you know what? In five years, you're going to have five other things. Like, who gives a shit, right? Like, no, like, that's not what this is about. It's about, hey, like, if we make a plan, like, this is what the plan should be, right? And you can hold me as accountable is that I'm going to hold you. So, yeah, like, I think that although, yes, it's important that we know our history and that, you know, we know who has had what in our family, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that we're predestined to have the same thing that our parents had or their parents had, or, you know, like our tribe has had, right? Like that's not the way it's supposed to work. You know, Trevor, you brought up a a pretty good point in regards to pushing our doctors and I guess doctors doing a better job at understanding that every patient isn't a white patient. And I think if you speak and i wasn't sure we we're going to go in this direction as far as like just trying to figure out things medically because we do know we do have friends that are doctors but even talking to them on the side it's like the medical default is a white person so when it comes down to dealing with some of the things that tend to fall underneath certain ethnic groups it's just not that much research associated with it and the medical field can't be a one-size-fits-all approach because human beings as much as we are alike we are so much different Another thing too, and I guess I'll ask you this, Sam, when they diagnosed you with your issue, how apparent was it? Like, you know, how much time did it take for them to um, actually come to that conclusion? Did you seek a second opinion? Did did you push on it? And just kind of going on that, because there is a growing movement, especially amongst Black women. They say that Black men are being killed in the streets and Black women are being killed in the hospital. And a lot of times it's because our pain is ignored and because we're not getting the second or third opinions. I can go on and on. I know a ton of stories about blood clots not being founded and so on and so forth. But for you, Sam, was it a matter of you pushing to get a second or third opinion to come to the point to where you're at right now? Definitely got a second opinion. You know, it was told to me at two different places. So certainly got a second opinion. For me right now, it's about making sure that whatever I'm prescribed or whatever I'm putting into my body that I know as much about it as possible, right? And that, you know, I'm asking all the questions needed because yes, I think that there is this idea that the norm is like, yes, the white body and that all doctors might care about is just kind of like giving you something that might kind of 
work for now, but might give you a, a whole slew of different side effects that, you know, I'm not really here to play with, right? So you definitely have to come in prepared, asking questions and being ready to talk and being ready to like push anyone you speak to. I think the other interesting point in your question, Jeff, though, is like when you ask about going to get a second opinion on things, I know for me and dealing with my issue at the time, I was specifically trying to find a black doctor to diagnose my things. And for high cholesterol, you can go to a general doctor, but really you want to go see a cardiologist. That's not to say that there aren't plenty of qualified black cardiologists around the country, but I couldn't find one. And it's not the easiest. We don't necessarily have, I think there's like, I mean, I used to go on like ZocDoc and try to like find pictures to see like, oh, can I find someone that looks like me? It's not the easiest thing to find, right? So like maybe if you live in an area that like, if you live in Atlanta, if you live in Harlem, if you live in DC, it might be easier to find those people that look like you to help treat you. But outside of those predominantly black neighborhoods, you're probably going to have a tough time getting a second opinion from someone that looks like you and that can speak to your experience outside of what they've learned in a textbook. The first time that I came across a doctor that was telling me something other than, hey, eat some oatmeal and pop these pills, she was Latina. So not black, but like she was at least closer on the spectrum to kind of relating to our experience and had something else to offer other than, hey, here's the prescription that this drug company's been pushing to me. Take that. See you in six months. So, I mean, I think that's a factor in coming to that decision, just having the accessibility to get a second opinion that knows more than what they learned in that textbook. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say that there are doctors from other ethnic groups that care. You know, I'm sure there's, there's a lot of, uh, Absolutely. you know, groups out there, a lot of doctors out there who are treating all people equally. But in the same token, there's just so many nightmare stories, you know, and so many people coming from behind the curtain and, and that are actually speaking about things that they've witnessed within the medical field that is very problematic and, and outright criminal uh, when it comes down to our race. So, you know, you only have one life to live. And if it's a matter of just dealing within our tribe, I think it's not a matter of this trust, but a matter or a means of survival. In my personal opinion, like if there's two equally qualified doctors, both, you know, with the same level of education, same polite gestures, one is black and one's another race, I'm going to go with the black person. And, and that's not a matter of me being a, a racist or anything like that. I mean, God knows that's the furthest thing from the truth. But I think as humans, we are tribal by nature. It's the same way it would be whether you're in a fraternity. It's the same way you would be if you're Italian-American and you're interested in knowing um, what part of Sicily your grandparents are from so you can give them that discount. It's also a matter of what school you went to. Oh, man, you went to Seton Hall University. Oh, you're a pirate like me. Oh, you went to Rutgers. Oh, yeah, you're a scarlet knight like me. So I think once you get past those, I guess, more familiar with certain things, the transparency certainly seems to uh, increase when there's um, less layers of distance between the two people. Absolutely. But to throw it back, when you think about what we experience as people, and Jeff touched on it a little bit, but I do want to say, like, I know that doctors around the world are faced with an incredibly tough job day in, day out, and that generally they're doing their best. So I don't want to spend this time sounding like we're coming down on doctors, but, you know, as always, we're kind of speaking on our own personal experience and kind of what we went through. But, you know, what does it take to change that, right? To change that mindset. Like we see this movement going on with the calls to, to protect Black women specifically. And not that they don't deserve to be at the forefront of that movement, but 
there's black men, there's black babies, and there's people that aren't black that are dealing with the same kind of issues of either being misdiagnosed or mishandled in their medical care. And while some of us may be predisposed to certain things, as one of you guys touched on earlier, I don't think we're predestined, right, to kind of come across these things that may inflict us genetically or at a higher rate than others. So how do we kind of fix it? I think it comes down to holding doctors accountable. I think that there needs to be more laws that, and it's currently happening, but as you mentioned, I I think it was mentioned earlier in regards to them pushing certain drugs from the drug company and the incentives that come along with that, right? And so in our communities and in the black community, especially, you know, there's people who are on uh, Medicare, Medicaid, I sound like a dummy, but that's a guaranteed government check, right? And so they are potentially looking to increase incidents and overprescribe things because there's a financial incentive behind that. There are certain government, drug governing bodies that are preventing doctors from filling a certain amount of prescription. So like, let's say for instance, you go and you are trying to fill a prescription for Percocet or, or Vicodin or, or something that's highly addictive. There's limits on to how many prescriptions you can refill. And that's where you have these people putting on wigs and shaving their heads and going to different CVSs and Walgreens, so on and so forth. So there needs, there needs to be more of that. There also needs to be less protection in regards to malpractice protection. If a doctor is doing the wrong thing, their license should be at stake. You should be able to sue their pants off. So I think when there is, you know, the same way with police brutality, I think when there's actual punishment associated with bad behavior, it disincentivizes bad behavior amongst those who are in a trusted position to do the right thing. On the malpractice thing, I don't disagree with you on that. I've heard from other people who are doctors, and as always, I wish we had someone to speak to us directly, but I've heard of how high their insurance premiums are for malpractice insurance. So if, to play devil's advocate, if I'm in their chair, right, and I've spent 10, 12 years, however long you got to be in school to become a doctor, you spend all this time, all this money studying working your ass off to become a doctor and you've worked your way up the ranks, you're finally, you know, in the surgery room or, or whatever it is, operating table, and you make a mistake or there was something that you hadn't prepared for that happens. And maybe it's not 100% your fault. Equipment malfunctions, a nurse pulls the wrong thing for an injection, whatever it might be. And, and none of these are things that I would just sweep under the rug. But to the point about the parallel you made with cops, right? Like, and to Chris Rock's joke about like how a pilot can't have a bad day, but there are a lot of jobs where you can have a bad day and then still continue to keep your job. If you're a doctor and you're paying up the nose for these insurance premiums and you do make, just say it's a one-time mistake, do you deserve to kind of lose all that you worked for, for that one mistake, even if unfortunate events may have led to, you know, a patient losing their life or something like that. Like, is that fair? I think that there's things that are just not black and white. I think that when it comes down to a mistake, I mean, if the mistake is a matter of uh, someone losing their life or someone not having the ability to have children, I think that these things are something that should be weighed and considered heavily. You know, there's consequences to um, some mistakes and there is a difference between a mistake and negligence. So, I think that it's important to, you know, draw the line between the two. But mistakes certainly do happen. Someone can accidentally, I really can't tell you, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a doctor or a nurse, but there are certain things within the medical industry that would 
constitute as being negligent. And when a doctor is negligent, and it certainly could be prevented with just uh, standard oversight, then I think that these people don't really deserve our sympathy and probably are better off not being a part of that industry. It is an industry that, you know, for the most part, being a doctor pays well, you know, and it's a, a highly regarded job in our society, you know, no matter where you go. I mean, I think in most places, doctors do get paid well, unless you're in a communist nation. So with all that that comes along with it, I think that there should be a high expectation that comes along with practicing in that field. Yeah, and I think the negligent part is really the either overprescription or underprescription of stuff, right? Like either overprescribing stuff to people, right? Like getting them hooked on this medication, which eventually might have a side effect that'll get them connected to this, to this, to this, right? Like, and that's the stuff that we have to be careful and weary about, right? As well as, you know, when I talk about like the under, it's more so around, you know, some insurance companies are paying doctors to not run tests on people to know that mm, maybe this person does need an MRI or maybe this person does need this other battery of tests, right? But the less of those that you write out, the better the incentive or the, the more money that you might get for not doing that stuff, right? And that's the stuff that we have to be watchful for. And, and those are the things that are super negligent because that is no longer considering the actual care of your actual patient, which is the connection you're supposed to have. Your connection should be with your patient and not with this giant entity, this insurance company that may or may not cut you a check for doing X, Y, and Z instead. Well, hey, I'm really glad that the doctors, that you definitely have some good doctors in your corner. It seems like you're on your way to recovery. You look good, you sound good, and I'm really happy to have my friend back. So I'm not trying to do shout outs this early, but shout out to your doctors for Make sure we have a friend right now, man. So, and there are some good doctors out there. We know a few that we're closest to. Shout out to Hater. But yeah, just glad that you're doing okay, Sam. Thanks a lot, and I, and I really appreciate it. And I mean, just even segue or kind of piggyback off something that we discussed earlier was I feel like the best treatment I got was from a black nurse, right? Like, so, and all that, right? Like, we're you're absolutely right around the people who who sometimes serve us best are the people that sometimes look like us, right? So definitely a shout out to her. And, you know, I'm I'm definitely going to keep you guys posted as I kind of just continue my journey. And, you know, I definitely appreciate all the love that I've gotten from a lot of people, a lot of like close friends who knew. And I'm glad I have no side effects. Although one of the good ones would have been if my hairline came back because, you know, up until... Up until today, like, I hadn't shaved my head for three weeks, right? And the back came, like, that grew out, but, you know, the front, it wasn't there. You could have the Sherman Hemsley going on, bro. I I mean, I did for, like, three weeks, you know, so I definitely wasn't going to post any pictures then, but... The baldy is back, you know, I lined up the beard a little bit. So now I feel a little closer to myself. So, you know, I'm happy, you know, I'll be all right. Thank you for, again, for like all the love and, you know, we're going to rock this out, guys. We're happy to have you back, Sam, even if your hairline couldn't join you. But yeah, man, props to the pandemic. If there's one thing that we did get from this, it's more hair, right? Jeff has a hairline back. I've never had more of a goatee slash like chin strap in my life. So yeah, man, it's, it's a glorious time for the hair to come back while barbershops been shut down. But 
On another note, man, there's so much more important things that we can be celebrating in this moment, man. So I want to start off with a big, big shout out to the woman who I voted for back when she was running in California. And I'm proud to see come to accept the nomination for vice president, Miss Kamala Harris. Round of applause for her. It's really dope seeing that. And it's great. It's a great thing to have a generation that for as much, you know, the younger generation that's coming up for as much as they've had to deal with between this economy, this pandemic and all the other stuff that's going on, they can see the art of the possible and like having Barack reach the top of the chain, having Hillary run, having Kamala kind of come in as VP, like, you know, all of this uprising in this moment of change, like it's a beautiful thing to see. So as disappointed as I am in many things that happen in this country, I'm excited to see this kind of come over the past week. Yeah, I second the sh- that um, shout out and congratulations to uh, Senator Kamala Harris. I pray to everything that she ends up being the VP elect. You know, say what you want. I mean, obviously, you know, there's uh, much to be said about the past and so on and so forth. Uh, but I do know that this election is very consequential. And she definitely has my unwavering support. I also will include something similar to what Trevor said, that we live in a time where you see a lot of symbolic gestures. You see Black Lives Matter being uh, sprayed across streets and Juneteenth flags being raised up at city halls across the country. All that's great. Policy matters more than anything. But symbols are also important. When I was a young man, when I was 22 years old, Barack Hussein Obama became the first Black president of the United States. And I give him just as much credit as some of the other men in my life for raising me to be the man that I am. For me as a Black man, I see that it's possible to excel and do anything, regardless of what obstacles might be put in our place. And as a Black person, you know, there's obstacles put in your place internationally. It's not great being Black anywhere. With that being said, it's also very challenging being a woman as well and being a, a woman of color or a Black woman. Not only will this be a great thing for women worldwide, but also for Black women especially, that they can see that there's really no limit for their achievements. So regardless of how you feel about anything that she's done in the past or her record as a prosecutor, which if you look deep into it, uh, you kind of have to educate yourself, honestly. I mean, she's a prosecutor after all, but we'll save that for another time. The fact that a woman would could potentially get to this plateau or um, to this uh, level it's only going to be a great thing for your daughters, for your sisters. It's going to make your grandmothers cry. So shout out to Kamala Harris. And Jeff, you're a hard act to follow because I think you've nailed it, especially on Kamala. You've nailed it on the, the way we felt when Barack was, you know, first elected, right? So there's nothing more I can add to that. Definitely we come from a place of like pride and we certainly hope that come November things are, are as they should be. I did want to, and you know, and I don't want to end things on a somber note, but I did want to send a little bit of love to, you know, one of our our close friends who recently had their parent passed away, their father passed away over last weekend. And I definitely wanted to, to shout out Davin, who, you know, I know you're a listener and definitely got a lot of love for you. And, you know, I definitely wanted to shout you out. Yeah, there's one thing that's a testament to um, who we are as people. Sometimes we don't get a chance to know our friends' parents, but you get a chance to know who they are based on the person that they raised. And I can tell a great deal about Davin's father just on the man he is. Davin is uh, one of my closest friends. Um, He's going to be all of our close friends throughout the years. 
we appreciate him and, you know, just know that you definitely have our love of support. It's just been a rough time for people, man. I, I, it's been countless of people, close people that I know personally. Now, we all know who've lost their parents because of Letitia or lost a cousin, um, Taekwon, to cancer a few weeks ago as well. So, yeah, man, just continue to check in on your people, man. It's a rough time, but we're going to get through it. And with death comes new life. And so we always got to stay positive on that end. You know, there is better days ahead. And the strong ones need love and support, too. No doubt, man. As always, I mean, I think it goes without being said, but just to echo my brothers here, Davin, you know, we're here with you every day, all day for whatever you need. And that's what that's what brothers do. But last to wrap this up for real, man, I want to thank you all for listening, man. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for riding with us through this little mini hiatus. I do want to give one last shout out to all our new listeners in the building. Numbers went through the roof lately. Uh, so shout out to Stitcher and whoever's listening on that app. They featured us in their top indie podcasts and also on the uh, kind of Black Lives Matter playlist they have on there. So whatever podcast app that you're listening to us on, we appreciate that. But a big shout out to everyone listening on Stitcher who's uh, just discovered the show. We hope we continue to deliver something for you guys every week that you enjoy rocking out to. So with that being said, catch you guys next Monday, man. We'll be back. Keep the episodes pumping. In the meantime, Hit us up at FRFR the podcast on the gram or Twitter, wherever you like to rock with us. Till then, peace.